I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 103, in which I talk to Jay about shape. And I'm recording um, this introduction part, in any case, on Tuesday, September 18th, 2012. The actual conversation with Jay happened a few days ago. I was hoping to um, get everything set up so that it would go live on Sunday while I was gone. Unfortunately, I was so crammed up last week with work, I was not able to get it posted. So... You might have actually already seen Jay's blog post that goes with this episode. I really hope that my delay in getting it posted didn't um, completely confuse you with that. But now everything is going to be all right in the world. The blog post and the podcast will be reunited in the way that they should be. It's a very magical moment. Can you hear this music going? Um, in any case, the only Sandy update that I have to offer at the moment is actually on my blog. I did post a blog entry earlier this evening. You can see pictures of where I was this weekend, find out about a couple of quilt shops that I got to visit, but no spoilers here. I'm not going to do any listener comments this episode. I do want to say thank you to everybody who has been sending in comments. I've been reading them. Um, a couple of emails that I've gotten I've been able to respond to. But um, my conversation with Jay in this episode is almost 45 minutes long in and of itself, so I'm keeping the intro and the outro very short, and in fact... I think I'm not going to be doing any outro whatsoever. So you're just going to get this intro, and then you're going to have the conversation with Jay. For those of you who may be new to this podcast, first of all, welcome. We like new listeners. Woohoo! Um, but this is a part of an ongoing series that started, I think, probably just about a year ago. I don't really remember, Jay, when we posted the very first design episode. Um, but Jay of ArtQuiltMaker.com, her blog, uh, has graciously offered us her wisdom and expertise for a series of episodes on design principles and elements. And in today's episode, we talk about shape. Now, if you've not heard any of the other design episodes before, um, or if it's been so long since we posted the last one, which I think was before summer, um, that you're kind of, you know, starting to lose your memory of what we talked about, I am going to put a link in the show notes to this episode that will actually show you the category of all the podcast episodes tagged with design that I've ever posted. Um, it will have all of the J episodes. It might also have a couple of random other ones that also got tagged as design-related episodes, but you will at least be able to find all of the J ones if you use that link. Um, I think that's it. So, without further ado, drumroll please, here we go with Jay about shape. All right, after a long several months of not being able to get our schedules together, Jay and I are finally, I, I can't say we're in the same place at the same time, because, <laughs> you know, although by the, you know, I guess we could say we're in the same cyber place at the same time. Um, we are talking, Jay, today about what design element or principle. Well, I thought we would start with the easier of the harder ones, Jay. <laughs> So what that means is we're getting into a group that people are really going to have to think a little bit about. They're a little bit hard to 
explain and understand, but all of your listeners are incredibly intelligent, and I know they can do it. Oh, they are brilliant, brilliant people, yes. Um, and I would just, as we start this, because it's been so long, I will make sure I link our other design episodes in the show notes to this episode so that people can kind of go back in time if they've either joined us late or if they just need some refresher courses before they get up to this one. Okay, and I will, um, I have links within my blog post, which we'll post whenever you post this. And I will um, link back to the last one, which then links back to the previous. So there's like a little daisy chain going. Okay. A little bunny trail people can find, like a treasure hunt. That's right. <laughs> All right. So what? how do you want to start us out on shape then? Well, one thing I just wanted to say about design before we dive into shape is that I, I read something really interesting while I was researching shape, and that is that the elements of design are sometimes called sensory properties because the viewer can see and touch them with their senses. And I thought that was just something really good to help people distinguish if they're, if they're trying to use the elements and the principles to say, oh, I can touch this. It must be an element. So that's just to start us up. But shape is an element of design, and I thought I would just give a few definitions first. Okay, so sounds good. Shape, the word shape is used to refer to a two-dimensional shape. Sorry, I know I'm using the word in the definition, very bad, but it's a flat area. And a shape is defined as an area that stands out from the space next to or around it due to a defined or applied boundary. So what that means is there might be some differences. You might have drawn a line, which is a boundary, or you might have um, taken the side of your pencil and sketched an enclosed shape, which very lightly, which kind of implies a boundary. Um, and you can do that with color or texture or value or line, like I said. Um, it's a visually perceived area where the edges are defined by something. And it's two-dimensional. Closed contours, so a shape is made up of closed contours, and they convey some kind of meaning and organized information. When I say organized information, I'm not talking about library information, but your design information. Okay, so the, the key things to remember then out of these definitions are the, the two-dimensional nature, that it's um, flat, not three-dimensional, and that there is some sort of a boundary of some sort, whether it be a, a distinct line or value, color, texture, that kind of thing. Exactly. Okay. exactly. It'd be kind of fun to play with that a little bit. So maybe you could draw a circle with a black pen and then draw a circle with watercolor and then like the side, like I said, the side of your pencil. You know that kind of motion where you have a really sharp pencil but you don't draw with a point, you draw with a side? So making kind of shadows, you know what I mean? Right. So almost you, in that respect, you're almost creating your shape through creating the negative space of the shape. Yeah, and don't go any farther because we're going to get. 
Um, but no, draw a shape in different ways. Use different implements or different techniques to see the differences of how you can create a shape is what I was getting at. Okay, so understanding shape, like you said so succinctly, a shape is formed when a line encloses an area. And so that means that the line lines form its perimeters. Design or composition is basically the arrangement of shapes. So if you throw a bunch of circles on, you cut out a bunch of circles out of your fabric and sew them to a big piece, you're organizing information. And shapes define figure and ground relationship. So what that means is you, when you're looking at a quilt, you understand the quilt because of the shape in it. And there are various ways to categorize those shapes and forms. Um, shapes are two-dimensional and forms are three-dimensional. We'll get to those a little bit. Two-dimensional forms have width and height. A three-dimensional shape also has depth. So I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but some people might have been wondering, and that's a little teaser for the next one. Um, so a painting has shape while a sculpture has volume and mass. That's just a little example. And architecture also has volume and mass. Now, people are thinking, okay, but my quilt has batting and might might have embellishment. Yeah, that's true. So I think if you are really strict, it would be three-dimensional, but they're considered two-dimensional because the angle of viewing doesn't critically change the image. So when you walk around a sculpture, maybe it has four sides or four implied sides and you see something different. Two of the sides of the quilt, you don't really see anything because they're too skinny. You know what I mean? If you have a quilt hanging in the middle of a room so you can walk around it, when you get to the, the really thin side, you only see the binding. So it's really considered two-dimensional, not three-dimensional. Right, although I think, as we always talk about, there's always exceptions to the rules. We do now have a lot of quilts that have three-dimensional aspects to them. You know, a lot more quilts now have leaves that are coming off of them and that kind of thing. And obviously, that's kind of a different category. So here we're talking about sort of the standard quilt that does not have three-dimensional elements to it yeah. would be I mean, more considered two-dimensional. Yeah, I think the leaves would have to really be sticking out far for it to be considered three-dimensional, but you're right. We're talking about the standard quilt with maybe a little bit of beading or a little bit of really puffy quilting. They're not, quilts are not the same as Sculpture, like a large sculpture that you would see out in a public space. So even, you know, the small little thing that your child brings home from working with clay in kindergarten. But you're right, there are quilts that have three-dimensional elements. Yeah. So, so hopefully now people have a sense of the de definition and understanding it. And, and as we're seeing here, even when you come to something that feels like it's as simple to understand as 2D versus 3D, there's probably still some difference of opinion <laughs> in what constitutes 3D 
when it comes to our particular form of art in quilting. <laughs> and and it's pushing the art form. I don't know how far back beading or or different kinds of three-dimensional uh, techniques go in quilt making, but at least the Victorian crazy quilts, they had three-dimensional elements on Very much so, yeah. So it's, it's more about people going, oh, this is great, but what if I did this? Right. And the definition, the standard art definition, if there is such a thing, gets worse. But our, your brilliant listeners will totally get what we're talking about. Absolutely. <laughs> no doubt. So there are different types of shapes. The general categories are geometric shapes, realistic shapes, organic shapes, which can also be called natural shapes, abstract shapes, and non-objective shapes. So the geometric shapes, I think, are the easiest to understand. They include, but aren't limited to, circles, squares, rectangles, triangles, stars, and diamonds. I think Except for stars, we've probably all pieced those shapes at some point, and I bet a lot of us have applique stars down. Those are all shapes that make up the bulk of the designs in traditional quilt making. And as you all know, they're used alone or together to create blocks and a repetition of design or pattern repeats on the surface of a quilt. And geometric shapes are what most people think about when they think of shapes. And some other common shapes that you see but maybe aren't as usual in quilt making are parallelograms, cubes, pentagons, and cylinders. Definitely, I have not done a cylinder, and I have no plans to do that in a quilt. <laughs> I was just trying to even imagine how you would do it. I could see myself doing it with paint sticks, but <laughs> I'm not sure I would do it otherwise. I'm sure it's been done. That's oh, yeah. cylinder thing. <laughs> I guess... Um, Katie Pasquini Masochist has done something with it. I seem to recall some kind of applique or gradated color design she had. I don't I don't know the quote though. And I might just be making it up. <laughs> so realistic shapes replicate shapes found in nature. These are shapes that actually exist and can be copied or recreated like flowers, leaves, mountains, people, a pair of shoes, rocks in a riverbed, all of those are realistic shapes. And these types of shapes are used quite often in applique. There was a great piece that Laura Kemshaw did. I don't know if people know her. She and her mom are UK quilt makers, but they're art quilt makers, and they have a design TV show that you can subscribe to. And they just have the greatest designs. And Laura did a really wonderful piece with red shoes. I think it's on their website. And it might be one of their free design TV episodes. I would I would suggest that people take a look at it. It's great. And I'll try and remember to put a, a link to it if I can find it again. Um, but definitely look at their uh, design shows and stuff. They're really great. They have great ideas and are very inspiring. So realistic shapes, you can replicate them, and most of them are found in nature or in real life. Organic shapes are natural shapes. 
usually taken from nature, but less consistent than realistic shapes, and there's often more variety in them. So there are things like clouds, flowing water, puddles, stills, things like that. There's a quilt by Jane Fassiman called Minor Miracles, and it's an example. It has examples of organic shapes in it. The next one, although let me just talk about this a little bit. It's like a spiky, one of those seed pods with the spikes on it that people, I used to throw them at my sister and her other siblings did too. And this quilt has one of those with all different tendrils or vines coming out of it. So it's very unusual, but definitely organic shape. So, yeah, let's just uh, clarify the difference between realistic shapes and organic shapes. Then, even though organic shapes are taken from nature, they're not necessarily immediately identifiable as, you know, this is a pansy versus this is an iris. It's more, it's the abstractified, <laughs> if that's a word, abstractified version of those more realistic shapes. Yeah, it's kind of like realistic shapes are the the uh, higher level, and then organic shapes are underneath that to a certain extent. So realistic shapes can include natural or organic shapes, but they can also include things like shoes, like I said, or, um, I don't know, pencils and pens, look at your desk, and anything on there, that would be a realistic shape. If you can identify it, you know what it is, then those are realistic shapes. Well, we know what flowers and leaves and clouds and flowing water are, but those are organic shapes. So organic shapes don't include cheese and pencils and CDs. Right, okay. Um, okay, our next category is abstract shapes. So this kind of overflows with organic shapes a little bit because abstract shapes are the abstraction of shapes to their essential basic characters. Details are ignored as the shapes are reduced to their simplest terms. So you could take a leaf. And you know how a lot of leaves have really small little uh, triangles or spiky shapes around the edges? Right. In, an, in an abstracted leaf, you wouldn't have those. You would just have maybe three lines, so the outside rounded with a point and then a line through the middle and then a line for the stem and that would be an abstract shape. Abstract shapes have a recognizable form but aren't real in the same way that natural shapes are. A six-figure drawing of a dog is an abstract dog shape but a dog in a photo is a natural shape. And Abstract shapes and web designs are usually added to images. There are a whole bunch um, of examples, but some of them are alphabet glyphs, icons, or symbols. So you know how on our desktop we have a little W for WordPress, and if we click on it, then we get to our blog editing software. Well, that would be an icon. And symbols and alphabet glyphs are similar 
other ways of using abstracted shapes. Um, there's no realism in abstracted shapes, or very, very little. Improvisation is, there's more improvisation than realism. Um, for example, in quilts, the landscape stitched together using blocks and strips of color to imply a landscape would be abstract. And because we know that landscapes are not made up of squares and rectangles and strips, but when they're placed together in the right position with the right colors, a landscape is implied. And art core makers often rely heavily on abstract design and shape. If any of you listen to Tanisha's podcast, Kathy Barton, she talks a little bit about this. And I guess the thing to remember is that abstract shapes are simplified or transformed from the real object. And the amount of abstraction can range from slight to extreme. One of, um, one of my favorite examples, it's more of an impressionist, um, I go to, I like to go to museums when I'm on vacation and I just laugh at the modern exhibits because it'll say, oh, this is a boy walking his dog. And I look at it and I think, that looks like a bunch of face batters. I guess that would be abstract in a really extreme way. More uh, non-objective shapes, which we'll get to in a second. All right, so non-objective shapes. These are shapes not found in geometry or nature. They're not realistic. They're similar to abstract shapes, but they lack any relation to a real idea or object. Freestyle piecing often features non-objective shapes. And I guess a non-objective shape would be the cover of my um, red journal. So I get a whole bunch of mosaic piecing, and there's no real rhyme or reason to it, although it does have shapes. Just, hmm, maybe not. Maybe they're geometric shapes. That's what you thought that. Um, Non-objective shapes are frequently used when the subject of a work is a concept, such as the relationships of colors or trying to depict an emotion. And in the Quilter's Book of Design, second, Ann Johnson, the author, did a, did a quote called Two Trunks which is an example of a non-objective shape, or just non-objective shape. Yeah, and I would say I just looked up the link because I've got your notes in front of me here, and I would say definitely for folks who are listening to this, be sure you look at that link, which I know will be in Jay's uh, uh, blog post for this because uh, she does a great job at the links. Um, it's hard for me as I'm sitting here thinking about this to really understand the difference between abstract and non-objective. And I think that example um, is very helpful. That's, I think that's a good one. So be sure if you're listening to this and you're saying, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, that you check out that example. Okay, yeah, abstract, you can still identify what they are, what the shape is but they're really pared down to their essential line. So there are some sketch artists who will do three lines, and you look at it and go, oh, yeah, that's a, a face and profile, where when you 
stand back and really look at it, you think, oh, but that's only three lines. Um, I'll try and find another example for that. There is an example of the New York Magazine from November 2392. Um, you can see it without logging in or paying, but you will be asked for username and password, but just close the box and you'll still see the cover. I'll put a link and then you can try and do it. Or you can go to your library and look it up there. Uh, that's just a little plug for libraries. <laughs> um, okay, so I told you that this was a starting a harder concept. Um, but now we're going to talk about properties of shape. In shape, size is an issue. Scale the shape you choose to enhance the meaning of your quilt design. Size alone can give emphasis to a shape in a design. And what that means is if you have a really big circle covering almost your whole quilt, that has a lot more importance than the tiny dot that you made with the French knot in the upper right-hand corner. And maybe you want that. Maybe you want people to get closer and find that French knot, especially if you called your quilt two circles. People would be looking for them. But shapes are an, are an element of design, and they have meaning when you put them in a quilt. Um, proportion also, the size of a shape in relationship to other shapes makes a difference. And if you have a bunch of circles and they're all the same size, then they all essentially have the same meaning. But if you have some much larger than others, then the larger ones have more meaning. And it adds significance to adds significance to the design. It'll command attention if you have a really big circle and then a bunch of small ones. So, if you think about a house quilt, let's say you have a bunch of houses, cars, and animals that are all about the same size, but then there's a giant figure on your quilt. That tells the viewer that the figure is really, really important. Or, for example, a medallion quilt with a mariner's compass or star, like your Stonehenge piece in the middle. The star becomes the most important part because it's the largest. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't look at other parts of the quilt, but generally larger equals more important. Um, also, placement, the way you place your shape makes a difference. So you can place them for a three-dimensional effect in a design. doesn't mean that you're making a 3D object, just that you're creating the, the effect, like the tumbling block pattern, really just diamonds, I think 63 diamonds, but when you look at it, if the colors are the right way, it looks three-dimensional. And also, if shapes are overlapped, um, it gives a sense of depth. And just in terms of placement, we automatically view the bottom of a composition as the foreground and the top of a composition as the background. 
the placement of shape can direct and control where the viewer's eye is first attract, attracted, where it travels next and where it ends. So if you put the blue sky and clouds on the bottom of your composition and then the house is upside down on the top, your viewer is going to be confused, but they will look first at the bottom, which is your sky, and then go up. So what I'm trying to say is that placement of really is really important, and you can control where your viewers look using placement of shape. I'll, I'll say in here, this is um, one thing I was extremely intentional about when I was working on my uh, what I referred to as my funky landscape quilts that eventually became named Joy. It was very much a practice in perspective through shape and the size of the shapes and where I was placing them and kind of doing that, leading the eye off into the background. In some places I was more successful than others. But the shapes themselves are extremely simple. It's just how I placed them and the size of them and the proportion of them in relationship to each other, you very much get that foreground to background feel in it. That's a great example. So maybe you can link to it and I'll pick up your link and put it in my blog post as well. Okay, I'll make sure I do that. And also, I mean, you said that it wasn't completely successful, but it's, it's a process. Design is a process. The more we learn, the more we know. But just because we know it doesn't mean we know how to use it. We have to practice. So maybe you'll make joy too, and you'll say, okay, I did this in joy, but I'm going to try it this way and see if that works better. Right. And also, as we always talk about, you know, what I don't see as successful, nobody else would nev never even necessarily know because they don't know what I was intending to do. <laughs> So, so that's always sort of our, our fail-safe mechanism as quilters is nobody knows what we intended this to look like. They're just seeing it as it is. So they may not know the parts that I'm sitting here saying, well, that didn't work. But um, that's something we can all keep in mind as we're designing, as other people may never know, which is always nice. Yeah, so don't point out your mistakes. Make <laughs> mistakes to somebody else. Give them as many opportunities. Right. Absolutely. Okay, so I have to throw in this sort of, interesting tidbit about the psychology of shape. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I'm just going to throw it out there so people can think about it. So apparently shapes have a psychology surrounding them. And a circle is perspective or infinite, eternity, connection, community, wholeness, safety, perfection. There's a few more. You can read them on my blog. It also... A circle also refers to the feminine, warmth, comfort, sensuality, and love. So square, stability, equality, solidity, security, rationality, and honesty. Triangle, tension or conflict, action, also energy, power, balance, law, science, religion. This triangle is masculine, apparently. Strength, aggression, dynamic movement, self-discovery, and revelation. I don't know if self-discovery goes with masculine, but I'll let somebody else decide. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting all sorts of images in my head now that probably I don't need to have. <laughs> <laughs> I go there. Um, and then spiral, etc. 
expressions of creativity, process of growth, and evolution. So these were, they were sort of interesting, and I got a lot of images in my head and thoughts in my head, so I thought other people might want to think about them as well. Well, you know, that kind of reminds me of is, and I think I've referred to this before, my mother had made a quilt um, that had New York Beauty blocks in it, and my father refused to ever sleep on it. He wouldn't sleep under it. He wouldn't let it be on their bed because it was too pointy. So there clearly are, like, feelings that come out when we look at shapes that either bring comfort or a lack of comfort or whatever when we – and that's going to be, again, kind of in the eye of the beholder. But that, that story cracked me up when my mother told me, <laughs> and it's just the first thing that comes to mind when I think about how shape affects us. Yeah, and that's a great example. I mean, he may not have known why he felt that way. He may have thought that it was a stupid way to feel, but he still felt it and expressed it. So I think that's very interesting. All right, so why or, yeah, why are you going to use shapes in a design? Well, there's obvious reasons, but also to add interest to a design or sustain interest. If you stand back and look at your quilt and think, oh, there's something missing. Maybe you need to add another block that is slightly different from the one that you used. If you're doing a repeat block design or if you're making an art quilt, maybe you need to add a circle here or a square there. Also, use shapes to organize or separate elements. Um, and direct the eye through the design. You know those quilts that Carol Breyer Fowler does with the ribbons of flying bees? Oh, yeah, those are a wonderful example of this. Yeah, those really direct your eye very clearly through her design. And the other thing is shapes can be arranged in space in many ways, rows overlapping by size in order to show distance. I thought that was very, very interesting. You can also use shapes to achieve balance. Balance is one of my favorites. Um, shapes can be equal in size and density to achieve balance, but larger, more simple shapes can also be balanced by smaller, more complex shapes. Imagine a rectangle inside a rectangle on the left and a flat or a blob inside a rectangle on the right. The flat is more complex, thus, even though it's smaller, it can balance out the simpler shape next to it. And also, the same is true with um, multitudes. You can have a large single shape on one side balanced by several smaller shapes on the other. Um, so the same is true complexity. I guess then you would kind of look at it as a single shape that's made up of smaller shapes kind of thing. Are you thinking like a mariner's compass? No, I'm thinking more art quilts. You know, if you've got a huge jar on one side and then you can have three smaller jars on the yeah. other and it'll still be balanced. Exactly, exactly. Or in in uh, plastic quilt making, if you have a really big block, on the right, and then four smaller ones next to it that are that end up being the same size, but are smaller. It's right. a kind of idea. Right. 
So then there is the shape versus form conundrum, which I never knew about until I started researching this, but apparently it's a really big deal. A shape is also sometimes called a form, and the two terms are often synonymous and used interchangeably. But shape is a more precise term because form has other meanings in art. For example, form may be used in a broad sense to describe the total visual organization of a work, including color, texture, and composition. Thus, my suggestion is, in order to avoid confusion, and because we're going to use form in a different way for our purposes, the term shape it means what we've talked about here, circles and squares and triangles and those kinds of shape and form is a completely different issue which we'll get into later. Okay, so basically shape is the, the 2D, two-dimensional form. Yeah, but if you're talking with somebody, they may use it synonymously. They may use the two terms synonymously, so it might be good to clarify if they're, if you're not understanding what they're saying. In which case we say, wait, we're the brilliant people. We've already identified that. We're using it right. That's <laughs> correct. <laughs> Okay, what else do you have us have for us? I just have some random notes and factoids. Pictures certainly exist without color or without any significant textural interest, and even without lines, but rarely do they exist without shape. And I, I put an example would be modern paintings. And the only one I can think of is, I think, by Diebenkorn, where he just put, like, a big yellow square in the middle of a canvas. But I'm not 100% sure that those are Diebenkorns I'm thinking of. Uh, I, well, I was going to say, the only one I can come to mind is also, again, in some modern art gallery that we visited, there was a big canvas that was just painted all red. But then you have to look at the fact that the shape of the canvas itself becomes the shape. Even though there's no shapes distinguishable on that canvas, it forms its own shape as a whole. Yeah, those works make me a little mad. <laughs> I don't look at them. But I think to myself, really, I could have done this. Yeah, I wonder about them as well. I have no problem sending my kid to college and retire. <laughs> but I don't have the right name, so. <laughs> yes. Right. All right, uh, another another note. A flat work, such as a painting or a quilt, can be viewed satisfactorily from only a limited number of angles and offers um, approximately the same image from each, from each angle, but three-dimensional works can be viewed from countless angles as the viewer moves around them, and we talked about that. I'm sorry, my phone is ringing, and I'm not answering <laughs> I have an answering machine. Um, so that's what we were talking about before, where I said if you hung a quilt in the middle of the room, two sides, the front and the back you could see very well, but the skinny parts, you don't get to see that much. That's the two-dimensional versus three-dimensional concept. Negative space is an area that surrounds shape. And Noni asked, that we talk about this more, so I've kind of been starting to compile notes. So just think about the negative space as what's not the foreground. So if you have a 
the giant circle, anything that's not the giant circle is the negative space. The placement of one shape, a positive figure of foreground, creates another, a negative figure of background. The placement of a shape organizes the empty space around it into more shapes. Again, this has to do with negative shapes, I mean negative space, and how important it is to look at that especially when you're making art quilts or if you are arranging classic blocks in a non-traditional way. Because sometimes the, the background shapes or negative space can look weird or be too dark or something else. So it's good to try and look at those in addition to the foreground. It can be hard, though. Yeah, I'm thinking like when you're, when I'm designing a quilt in EQ, for example, and I put blocks together, all of a sudden, what's the negative space in a single block? When you put all those blocks together, suddenly that negative space all joins together as they bump up against each other, and they take over. And so that's one of the things you really do have to watch for when you're designing is how the blocks play together and what happens to that negative space when it's up against other negative space. But it also, that, that makes me think of the um, secondary design. So sometimes if you do a really good job, there, there can be a secondary design right. that you didn't even expect. That's where you just have to be really aware, and that's where things like EQ are helpful or graph paper. If you can draw it all out, then you can actually see what's going to happen with those secondary designs or the negative space. Exactly. I, mean, I think there are a lot of things that you can use, but definitely paper and pencil can help you see that. Or make four blocks and put them together and see what happens. I mean, you, I think we all have plenty of things. Right. All right. Um, simple shapes are remembered and understood more easily than complex shapes. So a circle is a lot easier to understand than a flat or a blob, and to remember. A shape serves many purposes in visual images. Value, texture, and color help us see different shapes. And unless we are working in, on a whole cloth piece, we as quilt makers or textile artists have to cut out shapes to create our work. The placement of those shapes and direct the control where the viewer's eyes are distracted, where it travels next and where it ends, which we kind of talked about before. And finally, I have a mystery to leave you with to ponder. Which came first, line or shape? It's kind of like the chicken and the egg. <laughs> and I guess I part, of, part of me thinks, too, is it possible to have one without the other. I mean, clearly you can't have shape without line, but can you really have line without shape? Because doesn't the very act of drawing a line begin to create shapes? It begins to, but is it finished? Is that line a shape? The line itself, it's got dimension. It does. It's <laughs> considered a really skinny rectangle. Yeah. So see, this is a, this is a good thing for people to discuss in their bees. And this will, <laughs> the, 
When you can't sleep at night, this is what you lay in bed pondering. Which came first, line or shape? And is line really a shape in and of itself? So don't ponder it if it's going to make you sincerely dislike me. <laughs> you think about it. <laughs> you know, it would be interesting to do a, a whole episode on negative space. I think as quilt makers, we sort of think of negative space as, well, that's where you put your quilt design. <laughs> I think there can be so much more to it, and it would be really interesting to explore that further. Yeah, I'm I'm working on it. It's down the road of down the road a little bit, but I've been gathering some notes, and I'll get into it. Okay, so Noni, hold on, it will come. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this design series is getting bigger. <laughs> well, everything brings up more questions. Is is what you start looking at. Yeah, and the more you know, the more you need to know. Right. Or want to know. Want to know, yeah. So, that's all I have for you today. All right, and you've got your usual list of resources, et cetera, for further study will show up on your blog as well. They will. Okay. And we're recording this actually just immediately after I've posted another episode. So, this will get posted in a few days. And... Um, We'll make sure that we coordinate so that Jay's blog post goes up at about the same time <laughs> as the episode. So as usual, make sure I will link to Jay's um, blog in the show notes of this episode, but many of you are already following Jay's blog, so you can just keep an eye out for it there. Great. All right, and so what are we going to talk about in our next episode, just to give people a little bit of a clue? We're going to talk about form. So that's the three-dimensional version that we touched on. Today. Okay, great. All right, well, thank you very much for this conversation, Jay. I appreciate it, as always. Oh, you're welcome. Cooking for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thanks.